Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Dana Workman from Haunted Highway on Sci-Fi, and you're listening to The Ghost Host, Sophia Temporelli on LiveParanormal.com. Boom. This is Bill Murphy of Sci-Fi Channel's Fact or Fake Paranormal Files, and you're listening to the ghost host, Sophia Tipparelli on LiveParanormal.com. Hey everybody, this is Rex Williams, the medic from Destination Truth, and you're listening to the ghost host, Sophia, on LiveParanormal.com. This is True TV's haunting evidence investigator, Patrick Burns. And ghost huntress author, Marley Gibson. And And you're you're listening listening to Ghost Ghost Host, Sophia Temporelli. And Michael Perry. And we're here, hello, we're here at the ghost host with Sophia Temporelli and weekly... Paranormal.com. Weekly, weekly at (laughs) liveparanormal.com. This is Stefan Brigatti from Pacific Coast Paranormal, and you're listening to the ghost host, Sophia Temporelli, on LiveParanormal.com. She rocks. This is Christopher Sanders with My Ghost Story on Biography. You are listening to The Ghost Host with Sophia Temporelli on LiveParanormal.com. Hi, this is Professor Lloyd Auerbach, parapsychologist, and you're listening to The Ghost Host with Sophia Temporelli on LiveParanormal.com. This is author Alexandra Holzer, and you're listening to Ghost Host Sophia Temporelli. Hi, this is Jeff Belanger, host of 30 Odd Minutes, founder of GhostVillage.com, and author of lots of your favorite paranormal books, and you're listening to the ghost host, Sophia, on LiveParanormal.com. Boo! This is Nick Groff, executive producer of Ghost Adventures, the original documentary in Ghost Adventures, season 1 through 10, and executive producer of Ghost Stalkers, author of Chasing Spirits, The Building of the Ghost Adventures Crew, and founder of NickRothTours.com. You are listening to the ghost host, Sophia Temporelli, on LiveParanormal.com. Tune in. Hey, this is Zach Bagans from Ghost Adventures, and you are listening to the ghost host, Sophia Temporelli, on LiveParanormal.com. That's right. It's the ghost host show with Sophia Temporelli on LiveParanormal.com. And congratulations, Sophia, on celebrating over 12 years of broadcasting on LiveParanormal.com and now on GhostHunting.com. So welcome, everybody, from the audience there. And as well, thank you, Rob Sarek, the site founder, for providing this format each and every week. And to all of our moderators, thank you so much for patching us through at live events when we had no Internet feed. This is one of the most incredible shows we're about to have today. Today, we welcome Dartmouth College Film and Media Emerita Professor in Ghost Channel's uh, Paranormal Reality Television and the Haunting of the 21st Century America author, Amy Lawrence. Ghost Channel's and Professor Lawrence's other titles are available through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or wherever books are sold. Next Saturday, we have April, the Psychic Housewife of New Jersey, as seen on the Halzer Files. She'll be returning uh, next weekend, the 28th. Author, Ghost Adventures producer, lecturer Jeff Belanger returns on the program on the 4th of November. 
On Yak Paranormal Investigators, Ron Yakovetti and Lourdes Gonzalez. They return to the show on November 11th. Haunting Lodge documentary producers Kendall and Vera Welton will be on the program on the 18th of November. You don't want to miss any of these upcoming shows, essentially. So we have other guests that are uh, securing their guest spots, too, as well. And a lot of promotions for some of your favorite shows will be coming up. And uh, through Travel Channel and Discovery and elsewhere, too, as well. Sophia, congratulations on 12 years of broadcasting. Let me bring you into the studio here. Let's see. It's a little slow on the switchboard. That means we have a lot of people listening, tuning in. Sophia, congratulations. You've done a fantastic job. Your show has helped a lot of people through the years. And tell us about that kitten that's been showing up at the house. Uh, Yeah, we had a pot take up residence in our front yard. Um, I named him Salem. Uh, He's super, super sweet. So it's, like, so sad that he doesn't have a home. We're trying to find him a home. Um. Yeah, he's like the sweetest cat. Followed mom across the street to grandma's today. Um, so he's just like super friendly and nice. But yeah, yeah it's in the SoCal area. Yeah, it's a Russian blue. It looks like that pet cemetery cat before before sure. it was buried. So yeah. <laughs> well, tell you got all these sites. You got all these things kids are into. You got the Twitter, the Instagram, all this stuff. Where can people find you? I'm on Twitter, at Sophia Temporelli with one L, and Instagram, just at Sophia Temporelli. And by the way, church in the original Pet Cemetery was actually a British short hair, not a Russian blue. Oh, okay. That's why it was named uh, Churchill. Yeah, for Winston Churchill, I guess. Yeah, for the Prime Minister. Tell us about your guest today, Sophia. This is going to be an amazing show. Today, we welcome Dartmouth College film and media professor and Ghost Channels, Paranormal Reality Television and the Haunting of 21st Century America author, Amy Lawrence. Ghost Channels and Professor Lawrence's other titles are available through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or wherever you find your favorite books are sold. Let's welcome Professor Lawrence into the show. Professor Lawrence, it's an honor. Thank you for coming on today. Hi, just call me Amy. Well, Amy, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. To start off, congratulations on all your success as a professor and all of the writings you've done and films you've made. Um, It's just amazing to see, you know, you not only teaching film, but also incorporating, you know, these different facets of film, which include paranormal reality. Oh, yeah. I've I've always enjoyed... uh things about the paranormal and uh and watching a lot of television so it it just seemed to all come together to give me the inspiration to do this book absolutely and where did your love for film and television start for you when i was a kid i was just watching a a lot of movies i'd go out to to see movies a lot with my sister we'd we'd spend a lot of time seeing the same thing over and over again and uh and on television and on pbs they had uh a series called uh, film odyssey which had a lot of foreign films japanese films and and french films and so i just saw these different kinds of things that i just loved watching i remember staying up in the old days when you got television reception so that at like three o'clock in the morning you could get these really strange stations that you couldn't get usually and with a lot of static and try to watch the weird films through the static and and it was just uh something i've always always enjoyed and and wanted to just keep doing more of just watching more movies and 
uh, reading about them and finding out about the actors and the directors and the writers and so on? I completely relate to that. Um, I also really love film and television, and I find some of the best parts of it are just, you know, being able to research the films and learn how they're made, the actors and their life stories, and, you know, getting to learn just kind of behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's always really motivated me. And uh, it was interesting to do the same thing with uh, with television because there's – so much interesting material on television and so many interesting people to think about. Absolutely. And you were saying that you've always had, you know, an interest in the paranormal. Um, was it kind of like film where it was just something that you always had an interest in, or did you ever have experiences with the paranormal growing up? Actually, I've never had any experiences with the paranormal. Uh, we Once we moved into a house and my mom told me later that, the lady who had lived there and who died, uh, that was her last residence, uh, that my mom, when she walked into the living room, she often felt that this woman was still present, but it was a very pleasant and friendly uh, presence, so she, she never minded it. Uh, right now I live in a house that was built in 1845 and in a neighborhood mm-hmm. with a lot of houses that are even older, but I've never had any feeling in this house, and my mom hasn't either, uh, that there's any presences here. It's it's all very calm and, and friendly, and I hope it stays that way. Of course. But I've just and, been interested know, in, in this, you know, since I was I was little, and it's it's always sort of followed me around as a topic. Of course, especially, you know, the area um, on the East Coast. I mean, there's so much history there. I mean, reading that Dartmouth was one of, I think it said nine colleges that were started before the American Revolution. I mean, there's so much history just in where you worked in and of itself. Did you ever hear of ghost stories that happened on campus? Not ghosts exactly, but the, the, one of the best places on campus is the cemetery, which goes back to the 1700s because the, the college was founded in, in, I think, 1750 around there. And uh, mm-hmm. the town I'm in was founded in 1761, so it's all pre-Revolutionary War. But the cemetery is, is a, a beautiful place with uh, old stones from when they had like 100 students, and they would come and spend a, a year here, and they would be out in the middle of nowhere, very far away from home. And if they died of a fever or they drowned in the river, they'd just be buried here because they couldn't send them home. And you see a lot of very sad stories on the the old carved uh, headstones and uh, old marble headstones falling apart, and it's very with, with trees that are 200 years old. It's very uh, mysterious and has a lot of uh, emotion attached to it. As a, the one place on campus where it really feels like you're in, in touch with the past. Definitely, I mean that's amazing that you know the, the college really has survive through so much um and and that's the same with film too i mean you know the the way it has progressed through time from silent films and you know evolved into reality tv what have you seen kind of the patterns are and trends with regards to ghost portrayals in film in film oh in film it goes back way before even film back into photography itself i've got some beautiful spirit photographs from the 19th century that I, I found online where they're 
one in particular that's uh, a cyanotype, so it's blue and white, and it's a man mm-hmm. sitting in a in a room, but it's it just looks like he's sitting next to a desk, but then you notice after a while that half of him is missing. It's just his top half. His legs are gone, and it's it's sort of been chemically disappeared, but it looks like he's just sort of a half an apparition. And then there's something in the wallpaper, and if you turn the image sideways, you can see two women standing holding a book, and it looks like they're either in front of striped wallpaper or they're behind bars, which is very scary. And so it's it's this sort of double image and two half images simultaneously next to each other. So the opportunity for ghostly images going back to the invention of photography is is always really, really interesting. And then with movies, uh, as soon as movies are made, you have Georges Méliès in, in France making things disappear and reappear and haunted houses where things move on their own through animation and uh, it's always been sort of a, a thread that goes through all popular culture and it's it's always mm-hmm. fascinating when they try to find visual ways to make that happen. Absolutely. And I know with the supernatural, it can kind of be a touchy subject for some um, in regards to belief in it or not belief or whether something's demonic or not. Did you see a difference in portrayal um, regarding anything kind of supernatural or ghosts um, pre-Hays Code and post-Hays Code? I don't think the Hays Code cared that much about uh, the supernatural. until like the early 30s when you get the the classics Dracula and Frankenstein and and the mummy until that horror movies were always seen as sort of not a serious genre you have mm-hmm. a few things like Lon Chaney and and uh the German films like Cabinet of Dr Caligari uh which are so spectacular but mostly they're seen just as folk tales or just not very serious it's hard to, to it, and you see that immediately with paranormal TV that the people just make fun of it all the time, and and even people who watch mm-hmm. it tend to distance themselves from it and say, oh, I don't take it seriously. I just it's sort of trashy, and and I just watch it for fun. Uh, though they watch a lot of it sometimes, but it's it's a way of thinking about the world that doesn't change it's like folklore it's deep in within the culture and people Mm -hmm. revert to that way as a way to describe things that they can't describe otherwise and it's it's real in terms terms of emotion and it's real in terms of their experience and this is the language they find to describe their experience so i'm certainly not going to tell them they're wrong and since i even if I don't have that experience, it doesn't mean they haven't had that experience. So I'm going to take people at their word. And if something is constantly a presence in popular culture, then my training is that popular culture matters. And movies mm-hmm. and television and music, it's all popular culture, and it tells us what's going on in the culture at any given time. So in the early 30s, you get horror films and because there's a depression going on and people's lives have been turned upside down. And in Germany in the 20s, you get horror films. And when World War II starts, you get the Cat People and all the Val Luton movies. And 
I Walked with a Zombie and, and all those really scary movies from the 40s and ghosts coming back. So it's always there as a, an issue. In early 70s, after Watergate in Vietnam, you get Texas Chainsaw Massacre and uh, really, really scary violent movies that uh, show an eruption of, of uh, violence and fear in, in America. So popular culture is always telling you what's going on if you can get over your sort of superior sense of, oh, I know better than that, if you just pay attention to what is it that people are saying and what are they trying to communicate when they tell you about their paranormal experiences. Definitely, and I think that's probably why some movies become cult classics, too. You know, maybe at the time it was released, it wasn't as, you know, really thought about, but then after, you know, there's people that really relate to it and are drawn to that particular film. Oh, yes, like like The Exorcist people are talking about now because it's its 50th anniversary, and that came out in the early 70s, too, when, when things were very disrupted and, and people didn't have a sense of stability anymore. And, you know, how disrupted can you get except demonic possession and, and exorcism and questions of faith and all of that? So it's, it's, uh, it's always going to be a, a bellwether of what's going on. Definitely. Also it, asks, it asks these deep fundamental questions about uh, life and death and, and the spirit and God and the devil, and it's, they're all major, major questions that people are always going to ask. Absolutely. And when it comes to, as you're saying, you know, paranormal reality shows um, and film as well, there's some sets such as the poltergeist and stuff where people believe that these sets were actually haunted or cursed. Have you done any research into that, and what are your thoughts on it? No, I didn't do research on, on the production of, of shows because I wanted to deal with what the audience was dealing with, which is the, the final product that appears on, on TV. But, yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of that. Rosemary's Baby is notorious for that. Mm -hmm. The Exorcist is notorious for that, uh, where a lot of people connected with the production uh, died prematurely or um, had terrible things happen to them. So... Uh, Yes, that goes around. And again, it, at the very least, it's a way for people to deal with the unexplainable in life. That, you know, if a lot of people suddenly die and they seem to be connected in some way to try to make sense of it all, how, how is it that this happened when it didn't happen on other films and that sort of thing? Uh, and does it have some connection to the... Uh, content of the film that is, is uh, so unsettling and uh, seems to be beyond reasonable explanation. Uh, partly, I think all the paranormal fiction, film, television, mm -hmm. reality, all of it's trying to uh, find a way to explain things that reason seems inadequate to explain. And it's sort of challenging the rational, because it has its limits, or people find that it has its limits. Absolutely. And as you were saying about your research with Ghost Channels, Paranormal Reality Television, and the Haunting of the 21st Century, what did you do um, while researching this book um, to kind of 
dive deeper into the audience's experience? Well, I read a lot that there isn't a lot written on paranormal reality TV shows, but there are some things. There was a very, very good book by Annette Hill that was about British paranormal reality shows because these are popular sort of internationally, and British shows sometimes are shown in the United States, and you can pick them up, Most Haunted, and uh, there's a very interesting one about Scotland uh, that was on recently. And she was writing about, she didn't really look at the shows themselves, she just went straight to the audience through online research and asked people, you know, who watches these shows, why do you watch these shows, Uh, do you believe in the paranormal, do you think these shows are all fake, or or do you think that they're real? And so she asked all these questions, and she got a lot of responses from the audience. And I found the most interesting thing that she found was that people would be on the they're sort of on the fence. That on the one hand, they enjoy the shows very much. They pretend that they don't. The first response mm-hmm. is always a defensive, oh, I'm not gullible, I know better than that. But later responses are, but maybe it could be something, and it's kind of intriguing, and I'd, I'd like to know more. So they, they go back and forth on, on why they watch it and why they care about it. And I found that that was very typical of uh, what happens whenever I talk to, try to talk to anybody about the paranormal. Most of my research, besides reading uh the few things that have been written about it uh, as a TV phenomenon is um, mostly I just watch a heck of a lot of television. I watch mm-hmm. hours and hours and hours and hours. They they would have like four or five-hour blocks of The Haunted followed by five-hour blocks of Ghost Hunters. And then another channel would have six episodes in a row of uh, Paranormal State. And they just – all these shows – and I had to limit myself between 2016 and 2019 because every year there are like five or six more shows and, and it became impossible to keep up with them. And people also, a lot of the TV stations, they rerun shows from 10 years earlier, so you're getting constantly more and more material piling up and piling up. So I had to sort of stop and say, okay, just these shows, just between 2000 and 2019. And uh, just for three years, I will watch all of these shows and uh, see what patterns emerge, what uh, seems to be consistent across different kinds of shows. Uh, Sometimes two different shows tell the same story, but they tell it slightly differently, or they visit the same location, and they look at it differently. And so when you see hundreds and hundreds of hours of something, you start to understand it in a way that's different than if you just watch your favorite show, or a few episodes now and then. Absolutely. And I think, too, as an audience member, I, you know, if you've had a paranormal experience, it really resonates with you in a different way. Um, I've been investigating yeah. since I was eight, but I also lived in a haunted house. And I can definitely say one episode of the show, A Haunting, really mm-hmm. kind of hit a nerve with the story that was being told of a girl being stalked in her home because that's what I was going through. And to this day, oh wow, I can't watch the episode because for me, it's just almost like reliving it, even though it's someone else's story. So I think when people who aren't in the paranormal are watching it, it's 
you know, even if they don't believe in it, but something in the back of their head just seems odd that they experienced. It kind of resonates with them in a way that, you know, someone who may not have had those experiences um, use it. Definitely. I mean, it just sort of re-triggers that trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Especially as a young child, too, um, going through that. We realized our house was haunted between when I was 9 and 11 years old, and it was it was really challenging. Um, and, you know, just having something that was so close to kind of what I was going through is is just so different uh, to see it portrayed on TV. And I think for me as a person, I seem to lean more towards the storytelling format of paranormal shows um, just because uh-huh. I, I love seeing it played out that way. Definitely. Well, one, th- one of the things that I, I found early on that intrigued me so much about these shows is they, particularly the first-person shows where people are telling their own stories about what happened to them is that how how strongly, even if you haven't had a paranormal experience, how strongly you identify with people who want to be believed, who need to be validated, mm-hmm. who say, you know, people, at first I didn't believe it, I thought I was crazy, other people will think I'm crazy, but this really happened. And there's so many of them who have had these experiences. And for everyone who's on television, there are probably, you know, hundreds more. And you need to take them seriously. You can't just dismiss them out of hand. And another uh, very common thread throughout these television shows is that people had these experiences as when they were children. And one of my favorite mm-hmm. shows was uh, Psychic Ch- Kids, Children of the Paranormal, which wasn't on for very long. It was maybe two seasons, and then they tried to bring it back about ten years later, but they kind of messed up the <laughs> purpose of the show. But the earlier one... It's all about these kids who are trying to explain to their parents, trying to explain to their friends, trying to come to grips with something that when they tell people, people think badly of them, they don't believe them, and they need to find people who understand them and who believe them. And so Chip Coffee and uh, a woman uh, psychiatrist or doctor talks to the kids, talks to the parents, introduces the kids to other kids who have special abilities, and helps them all sort of come to grips with the fact of, of recognizing the presence of the paranormal in their lives and how to deal with it. And this idea of even if you don't know, haven't had an experience, that you can identify with kids being bullied and kids being, thinking that other mm-hmm. kids will think they're strange and kids having tension with their parents because they're different from their parents and their parents don't understand. And they can be quite moving, these shows. So people who have had experiences definitely can identify with uh, the first-person accounts in all these shows. And even people who haven't can really feel for people who have gone through something that's so challenging and that finds so little support in the sort of outer world uh, where who do you turn to for help? How did you deal with your uh, haunted house? Um, well, we had investigators out to try and help. We had uh, psychics out. The psychics were able to identify. Well, I could see the ghost, so um, I kind of huh? knew who was there. I could see him. Um, I didn't know who he was, but I knew what he looked like. Um, and the psychics were able to validate what I was seeing. Um, but really, the activity didn't stop until we left. Um, the ghost was primarily huh? focused on women. 
Um, my dad never oh. had any experiences with him. And my dog, who was a pug, she would bark really violently in the areas where the, I would feel the ghost. My mom would feel the ghost. I had diamond doves in my bedroom in a cage. And when he would enter my room, they would just freak out and start bouncing off the cages. Um, oh, dear. And my, I had lived in that house from the day I came home from the hospital, and my dad had actually lived in that house as a child. Um, my grandfather, um, my adoptive grandfather, was a paranoid schizophrenic, so my dad had to move out of the house at the age of nine. Um, my grandfather wasn't the ghost haunting the house. I definitely think that it's possible that the spirit in there was actually preying on his mental illness. Ah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's it's... Yeah, it's different. I was lucky to have supportive parents and having been in the field at the time, but I also was in Catholic school. So, um, you know, kids didn't really believe in the paranormal. They thought it was weird. I didn't really care. But it, it's interesting just the shift in, as you said, so many paranormal shows were coming out at one point in time, but the shift in reality TV really changed the public's perspective. The kids I went to school with in Catholic school, I ended up going to high school with, and the ones that were like, that's weird, why are you doing that? When I got to high school, we were like, oh, take us walking around the Queen Mary to look for ghosts. And <laughs> that's part of the reason we wanted to have you on is because, you know, no one ever talks about really the audience's reaction to paranormal reality shows or even really reality shows in general. It's always horror movies or something like that. But there's definitely, you know, so much that, paranormal reality has taken out of in terms of tabooness to the general public. Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. And I like some some shows are like they're really scary, but other shows they try to uh kind of talk people down like uh Kim Russo's show, uh The Haunting of where she would take people who had been really terrorized often when they were young uh, in a haunted house. She would take them back to the haunted house, help find out who was haunting the house, and then have the person who was terrified learn about the, the ghost, understand the ghost, and then help the ghost move on. So all of the shows sort of followed the same trajectory where what terrified you was explained tamed and then you became strong enough to make it go away and that seems to be a very positive reassuring version like the medium shows and the psychic shows where people are trying to soften the distinction between the living and the dead and not make it a form of terror other shows of course try to be as scary as possible uh, and are more of the horror genre where it's just frightening and you just have to get out uh, Dead Files is like that. It's very scary, and often you just have to get out. Uh, I'm sorry that, that uh, you just had to leave your house, and, and rather than – but I'm glad that the ghost stayed in the house and didn't follow you. Oh, it's okay. I was more than happy to get out of there. Um, so for me, yeah. it was, it was like, probably one of the luckiest days ever. But as you were saying, too, with Kim Russo, um, I know she had, you know, iconic people like Shirley Jones on the show. And I think for people going through it, too, it's really helpful to see, you know, someone as iconic and full of life as her. So it's like, you know, this someone that I looked up to maybe as a child with the Partridge family, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. they had the same experiences as me. It's it's relatable. Well, one and, of my really favorites was, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, one of my early favorites was Celebrity Ghost Stories, which would have four or five people each episode telling their stories, and then yeah. we'd see reenactments. We'd always come back to the, the source, and they'd, they'd say, you know, and, they'd, and there were so many people, since there were three or four per episode, there were so many celebrities and people you would recognize from television and movies and mm -hmm. and they also had this uh background of the story usually before they were famous often when they were kids and it it really does uh give some validation to that that you know they couldn't tell anybody and now they're telling people and they're not embarrassed about telling people this happened to me and uh and it matters that it happened to me and it happens to other people too, and we should listen to them. Yeah. Absolutely. And in your film class at Dartmouth, were you able to talk with the students about the paranormal? Um, and if you did, did you get any responses from the students um, relating their experiences? I did try to teach it once uh, in a class, and I ran into a lot of resistance. Uh, because all of the students were sort of feeding off each other and in, in trying to prove that they were laughing at it, that it was obviously fake, that it was mm -hmm. too silly, uh, and, and they just didn't want to uh, engage with it, at least not in, in front of each other. So uh, it was mm -hmm. very hard to break that uh, defensive posture. Um, I, I had hoped that, that I could, but... Uh, no, <laughs> I think that's why a book is useful because then people can read it on their own and they don't have to defend it to other people and they don't have to uh, admit to anything in public that they're afraid of being mocked for. Right. Yeah. I mean, vulnerability as a young person is definitely hard, especially around your friends. Um, I think it's just interesting, too, as I was saying, the change of time. Um, I started a paranormal club in high school, and I think I had, like, 40 kids or something uh, oh, today, which was surprising. <laughs> I don't know. There was a lot of kids. Um, so <laughs> it's just interesting to um, just, you know, the differences in, you know, um, location of where you're located and maybe um, I, I live in California. So, you know, just the differences <laughs> in maybe where you're located in the ideals difference or you know age range college students it's yeah. like hey i'm getting my life on track i can't talk about kid stuff and um <laughs> just the shifting uh of time and demographic yeah well it could also be uh you approaching people on your on your level you're the same age and the same experience mm -hmm. whereas with me it's like they're trying to be sophisticated and and uh collegiate and 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 not uh yeah. gullible as they would think even if i try to say you know this is serious and worth considering and and take these shows seriously even if they're using a lot of you know jump scares and scary music and the sort of materials of the genre that we're used to from from movies and that people like to laugh at to show that they're not really scared uh it's it's hard to to sort of break through that, but I I think the very existence of all of these shows, dozens and dozens of shows uh, since the 2000, shows that this really resonates with lots and lots of people, and they might not admit it, which is why doing audience research is hard. But 
the, the very fact that the shows keep running and there's still audiences for them and they follow them onto streaming and onto internet and so on, it shows that it, it really does resonate with people. Absolutely. Um, and as you were saying, too, people might not want to admit it. Um, with my aunt specifically, she was very intellectual and she would tell you ghosts aren't real. But then she would also tell you about a weird experience she had at a hotel or oh. a dream she had. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's it's like, you know, some people don't want to let the idea that, you know, it can't possibly be scientifically explained away. Um but also can't fully shake possibly an experience they had that is unexplainable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, one thing I, I found interesting that you mentioned that uh, you went to Catholic school, and it's like, well, a Catholic background, you have guardian angels, you have saints, you have visions, uh, and yet, and and exorcists. Was a fundamental part of the, of uh, Catholic doctrine, and one of the producers of Ghost Hunters had told me that they had a show that they thought were sh- they were sure it was going to be a big success about an exorcist, and it lasted like three episodes. And they said that it's really hard for shows about exorcism to become popular because they're just too dark, and uh, mm-hmm. they just they frighten people, and and. When people talk about The Exorcist, the movie, that it was extremely disturbing, and it still is. And uh, so some topics of paranormal nature, on the one hand, they are fundamentally part of mainstream religions. On the other hand, they're just very disturbing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's just the thing, too, is trying to kind of find a place for your belief system and the paranormal. Mm -hmm. I actually developed my thoughts and theories on what the afterlife is in my eighth grade religion class. Um, Mm -hmm. And when I was saying that the ghost I thought preyed on my grandfather's mental illness, he was extremely devout Catholic. He was actually born in Italy and he actually, before Mm -hmm. his mental illness took effect was basically the secret service for the Pope. Um, He was a Palatine guard and um, basically guarded the Pope with his life. So he was a very devout Catholic. And I think that's probably what the spirit preyed on was the angels and demons of his belief system. Ah, yes, yes. So I I definitely understand what you mean about that. I mean, it's definitely, I think, when it comes to exorcism, either too scary or, you know, people aren't going to believe it. It's in that kind of really gray area where it's hard for people to, (laughs) they can't relate to it because people don't want to relate to it. Yeah, yeah. You're pretty much all in if you're going along with exorcism, yeah. (laughs) And uh, you also wrote about paranormal survivors. I know we have to take a quick commercial break, but we'll be right back with more questions and to learn about your article you wrote. Yeah, it's the Ghost Host Show with Sophia Temporelli on LiveParanormal.com. We have Snowman James in the uh, in the chat room there, and uh, feel free to jump into LiveParanormal.com chat room if you have a quick question for uh, um, Dr. Lawrence. Uh, make sure they're all capped so we can distinguish between the questions in the chat room. And uh, today we welcome Dartmouth College Film and Media Emerita Professor in Ghost Channels, Paranormal Reality 
television and the haunting of 21st century America author Amy Lawrence. Ghost Channels and Professor Lawrence's other titles are available through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or wherever books are sold. It's the late edition of the show, but we'll be right back. Now the sound bites work. Hi, this is Dustin Perry, the Paranormal Rockstar, and you're listening to The Ghost Coast with the most Sophia Temporelli, only on LifeParanormal.com. for joining us on History FM Radio on LiveParanormal.com and History.fm. From paranormal to the unexplained history, it all happens here. Looking to enhance your radio experience? Participate in live interactive chat 24-7 with our radio show hosts and other like-minded people on www.LiveParanormal.com. The only interactive social chat room supported by full interactive media. Stop by now and join in on the fun. Hey, this is Zach Bagans from Ghost Adventures, and you are listening to the ghost host, Sophia Temporilli, on LiveParanormal.com. Not only am I Dave Schrader, but I'm Dave Schrader of Travel Channel's The Holzer Files. And you're listening to <laughs> Sophia Temporelli on LiveParanormal.com. I feel left out. I wanted to throw myself into your mix of, of voiceovers now. I love it. You know, uh, it's almost like we didn't leave break. Oh, poor Dave left out of the audio bites. Okay, Sophia and Professor Lawrence, you're back on. Thank you so Hi. much again for coming on today, Amy. Thanks. So you also published an article called Paranormal Survivors Validating the Struggling Middle Class. Can you tell the audience about that and what inspired you to write it? Well, that's also uh, the first chapter of my book. It's what got me interested in, in writing this in the first place is I was doing a project and I had the TV on in the background and there were all of these episodes of Paranormal Survivors and The Haunting and The Haunted and all these first-person shows where people were talking about, I bought this house, and it was my dream house, and I put everything I had into it, uh, and then it turned out to be a nightmare. And they end up, you know, sort of leaving the house. You know, I let the bank have it. I walked away from it. Uh, I just escaped with my life. And I thought, why would this be popular? People keep losing their houses. It's terrible. It's depressing. There's no happy endings. Uh, why would people want to see this? And I realized that it was using the language of the paranormal, but what they were describing was very similar to the housing crisis of 2008, where people, their houses were underwater, they couldn't afford the mortgage, the house was not worth anything anymore. Uh, even economic advisors were telling people, just walk away. It might hurt your credit rating, but... It makes no sense to pay money on a house that isn't worth anything anymore. And so people were losing mm-hmm. their houses at an enormous rate. And that 
there aren't any TV, fictional TV shows about the housing crisis. It's just too depressing. But there are all of these paranormal shows about houses. And the American dream about you you get your own house and you've got your own little place and white picket fence. And it turns out to be a burden that you just cannot handle. And you call investigators and you call psychics and you call exorcists and people to bless your house and nobody helps and nothing works and i realized it's not an unhappy ending that it's a tale of survival it's like i was faced Mm with burdens that i could never express to other people just how bad it was and i survived i got the heck out i moved on with my life and i left it all behind and i'm free now uh, and this is what I, I, I face down. So it becomes a tale of heroism, of being this baptism fire, of going through this travail, and also seeking validation. It's like, I went through this, and I expect you to believe me because I'm telling you this happened, and it really happened. And even I doubted it, but then I came to believe it was real, and it happened to me, and I experienced this. And... It has material consequences in the world. You know, they lost their house. They lost all the money they put into the house. Uh, And yet they are strong and resilient and telling you about it. So that's what the article was about, and that's what the first chapter is about, is uh, all these witnesses talking about. uh, And and across across the series... Mm -hmm whether it's paranormal survivors or paranormal caught on camera or uh the haunting or the haunted it's it's it all or ghosts in my house they they tend to go through the same things over and over again and also it's 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 a challenge for a television series to not have a regular cast to not have the same people week after week that the audience forms a relationship with every time you turn on one of these shows you don't know who you're going to see or what they're going through but the trajectory is always pretty much always the same. It's first they doubt that there's anything going on, and then they start to suspect, and then they start to look for help, and it fails them, and then they have to decide on their own how to deal with the problem and or how to escape with their lives. And I found these very interesting, but most people, they don't talk about their own individual lives in terms of you know, international economic trends or uh, economic theory. That's not what they're interested in or what's going on with the stock market or, or financial mm-hmm. issues. Uh, they expressed it in a much deeper, more personal, uh, emotional level, which is where the rational is, doesn't touch that deep, deep part of you. And only this supernatural language begins to express what they feel and what they went through. And um, that I found really, really powerful as a – and unexpected. It wasn't what I expected when I started watching paranormal shows that it would be about you know, housing issues. And yet a house is such a deeply personal thing. And sometimes, as, as you know, it can be multi-generational and personal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and how do you, how do you – um, can you deal with it? Can you make it better? Or is the best day of your life when you move out? So yeah. that's what that 
articles about. Do you think in regards to that, um, with the 2008 housing crisis, obviously people's emotions are very heightened during this time, the struggle of knowing how they can keep their family together, keep their pets safe, keep food on the table, and try and keep their house. Do you think the emotions that families are going through during this time could also affect and intensify the activity that is present in the home? Oh, yes, absolutely. That that it's uh, a lot of the shows, they say, you know, that spiritual energy feeds on spiritual energy. So when people are ill, when they're uh, stressed out, when they're uh, anxious all the time, when they're having bad dreams to begin with, when they're fearful all the time, and they just cannot find a way through, that, of course, that this is going to stir up if there's activity in the house, it's going to give that something to feed on. If uh, the person thinks in, in, in paranormal terms, they're going to, it can manifest as as what they, um, it, it becomes a physical manifestation in their environment of what they're going through in their um, minds and in their emotions. So it's yeah, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it all is reflecting what they're going through, certainly. Well, as a family, we thought this was interesting. Um, looking back, I think I had experiences in our house basically my whole life, but the activity really showed up when I was nine years old, and I was nine in 2008. Um, so for you oh. to point out just, you know, the kind of large spike in people having these home hauntings and the struggle with them and you know, just the devastation it had on families was really interesting as someone who went through, you know, a home haunting during that time period. Well, they say that one of the most stressful things you can do in in life is, is a, a death in the family, divorce, or moving. Just even if you're moving for a good reason, leaving a house and going someplace else is a very, very stressful thing. So that kind of stress, anything that's going to lead to your leaving your house is going to stir up all sorts of things. It's going to make everything intensified emotionally. Absolutely. Um, And I know we're coming towards the end of the show, so I really want the audience to hear about some of your other books you've written on film. Um, If you could give the audience a brief summary of each of your other books. Well, my last book was about uh, Montgomery Clift, the actor, and he's an actor that, you know, I've loved all my life since I was little, and he was famous for, um, he's a good friend of Elizabeth Taylor, they were in a lot of movies together, and he's in From Here to Eternity, and A Place in the Sun, and Red River with John Wayne, and he was very famous in his day, and that also has a, a spiritual dimension, because people said that he had the face of a saint, or an archangel, but that he was haunted by demons, and they mean this metaphorically, but halfway through his career he had this really terrible car accident that messed up his face and so people would say oh it's a shame he's not pretty anymore but when I was little I grew up listening to him because there were recordings of him doing like glass menagerie and just records Mm -hmm. LP records and I always loved his voice and I loved his voice particularly when he was older He he died at like 46 he was very young he drank too much and took a lot of pills and people blame that on, on the accident, but he was drinking too much before that anyway. But I was, wanted to compare that. So people talk about him as having the face of a saint and being just this 
unworldly, beautiful guy uh, when he's young and and a big movie star. And then after the accident, they talk about him as if he's a martyr, that he's a, an icon of suffering, and that it's written on his face, which is damaged after the accident. But I wanted to talk about his work, that he, while all of this talk about him is going on, he was really dedicated to his work. And when he died, even though he was gay and, and addicted to drugs and, and self-destructive, when he died, one of the most beautiful obituaries of him was in the Vatican newspaper, saying that no matter what his problems were, his he's a model of his dedication to his craft, how seriously he took his work, that he never phoned it in, that he never made a movie he didn't believe in, that he always did everything he could to... Uh, excel as an actor and I found that very important so I, I love Montgomery Clift and I wanted to write about his whole career and not just when he was pretty um, before that I, I've written about uh, women a book called Echo and Narcissus which is about uh, women and their voices and how film technology or sound technology uh, sometimes most sound technology in movies you just Ignore it. It's it's just part of people open their mouths and talk, and you take it for granted. Mm -hmm. And the music starts playing, and you take it for granted. But I noticed in a in a whole bunch of movies where sometimes you would see the sound technology, you would see the microphone intentionally or sound recording equipment. It would become part of the plot, and it would often be associated with women who were trouble that they talk too much or they didn't talk enough, that their voices needed to be used against them to uh, sort of surreptitiously record them and then play back their voice so they can't deny that they said something. And where sound is and telephone technology, I talk about Sorry, Wrong Number with Barbara Stanwyck, where she's uh, an invalid trapped in a room and she overhears uh, a plot to kill somebody and she tries to call the police, she tries to call the operator, she tries to use the phone to control her life, but it doesn't help her at all. And it's based on a radio play, so it's, again, a, a woman's voice filtered through sound technology. And mm -hmm. uh, written by Louise Fletcher, it's a really famous uh, radio drama, very interesting. And when the, when the when the phone hangs up, the woman is dead. <laughs> so she, she wow. her entire existence with the phone technology. So it's um that was that was my first book on on women's voices and and sound in being portrayed in film and uh and the Montgomery Clift book and uh now Ghost Channels on uh television. Well, I want to thank you so but mostly much. For also, I also write a lot about actors. I've written about uh Rudolph Valentino and I, I went to Italy and uh, met the mayor of Castellaneta, where Rudolph Valentino is from. Uh, wow. I went to, uh, I've written about uh, James Mason and uh, in A Star is Born, especially, and Jimmy Melita, Stewart. And, and Jimmy Stewart, particularly in Rope by uh, Hitchcock, because I love Jimmy Stewart. And, and he's so good in Rope, and he's so good when he's borderline crazy in the 50s. <laughs> Wow. Well, you've written about some amazing people and amazing topics. I want to thank you so much for coming on today, Amy. Um, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and you're always welcome back on in the future. It's oh, an thank honor. You very the show's much. open. Any, it shows open any time for you. 
Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. Well, thank you. Thank you. Wow, amazing show today, Sophia. This is one of the best. I mean, this the hour flew by as an audience member listening. <laughs> Absolutely. Professor Amy Lawrence was such a great guest. Um, I want to thank her so much for coming on today. Thank you all for listening. Um, definitely make sure to check out Amy's books, um, Ghost Channels, Paranormal Reality Television, and the Haunting of the 21st Century America. Um, thank you, guys. I will talk to you guys again next week. Bye. I'm the plug guy. I'll, I'll get even further into it than that. <laughs> Ghost Channels and Professor Lawrence's other titles are available through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or wherever books are sold upcoming. We have next weekend, Saturday, um, uh, returning to the show, we have on the 28th, April, the Psychic Housewife of New Jersey is seen on the Halzer Files. Author, Ghost Adventures producer, lecturer, Jeff Belanger returns to the program on November 4th. Donyak Paranormal Investigators, Ron Yacovetti and Lourdes Gonzalez, uh, they'll be on the program on November 11th. Honey Lodge Documentary Producers, Kendall and Vera Welton will be on the program on November 18th. You don't want to miss any of these upcoming shows. So like the ghost host, Sophia Temporelli, uh, her Facebook fan page to learn of the guests as we learn of them real time. And uh, the ghost host show on uh, liveparanormal.com. Thank you, James, in the chat room, too, as well as others. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Hi, this is Debbie and Sion Ghost Adventures. You're listening to The Ghost Host with your host, Sophia Temporelli, on LiveParanormal.com. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us on History FM Radio on LiveParanormal.com and History.fm. From paranormal to the unexplained history, it all happens here. Looking to enhance your radio experience? Participate in live interactive chat 24-7 with our radio show hosts and other like-minded people on www.liveparanormal.com. The only interactive social chat room supported by full interactive media. Stop by now and join in on the fun. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.